the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, June 20th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 249. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, everybody. Big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Rowan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we've got a great slate of guests. Former Trump trade guru Peter Navarro is going to be here. Former chief of staff to the Department of Defense. Cash Patel is going to join us as well. Spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., Caroline Levitz, jumping in. And Newsweek Editor-in-Chief, Josh Hammer, will be joining us as well. Lots of breaking news. Tony Blinken was in China this weekend. Hunter Biden's getting probation. Donald Trump sat down for his heavyweight title rematch with Brett Baer on Fox News last night. And we'll do a little news potpourri. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it over to the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! All right, big Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast coming in hot. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. Couldn't think of a better way to kick off our Tuesday edition of the show today with the former director of trade and manufacturing policy who served during the Trump administration. He's also a famed economist and author, one of our great friends. Really happy to have back Dr. Peter Navarro. Doctor, thanks for joining us on the show. You know, uh, I actually used to eat steak for breakfast. Uh, for years I did that, and it's, it's good food. So we'll try to throw a little red meat uh, your listeners' way today. Uh, it's great it to be with you guys. I appreciate what you do. Yeah, we appreciate you, sir. How's everything going with you? I'm sure uh, busy due to the political climate. We want to talk to you about a bunch of different things today, mostly about China and trade. But uh, what are you, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, uh, today, uh, Hunter Biden just walked scot-free, uh, thanks to our weaponized uh, system of injustice at, uh, at the DOJ. <laughs> pretty pretty remarkable. They're trying to put me in prison for two years. They already sentenced Steve Bannon to four months, and they want to put people away for 400 years. And, it, you know, it's the difference between um, Hunter and the rest of us is that we're being charged with alleged air quote crimes that nobody's ever been charged with before so <laughs> it's the world uh we live in um so i thought that was kind of amusing but yeah, of course the big news this week was the um failed trip of secretary of state anthony blinken to communist china that was arguably the worst kowtow an american diplomat um um, in my memory, and that that's a long, long memory. What what we had was a um, he never should have went to Beijing, but when he went there, he did nothing but surrender Taiwan to the communists and um, claim. This is what really stunned me as an economist. He claimed that when China succeeds economically, that America succeeds, which is. Now, since they've already stolen about 80,000 of our factories and millions of our jobs, I find that to be uh, speaking with a bit of a forked tongue. Now, when you see that trip to 
China from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and all the controversial stuff that's been going on with him. I mean, he's been linked to the Biden classified document scandal back at the UPenn Center. He's been also linked to uh, whipping some of the intelligence officials for the Hunter Biden laptop in the 2020 presidential election cycle. And then you you kind yeah. of, you put that together as like, wow, there might be some kind of a illicit compromise there and then see the way that he can. <laughs> yeah, his body yeah. language alone, it looked like he was like, you know, a beaten dog walking in and out of those press conferences with his head sunken down and his shoulders all deflated. And, and you know, even when he took the picture with Xi Jinping and it just looked like he was almost embarrassed to be there. But and, and at this, they say it's a start of, of negotiations to get back on the same page. But I mean, anyone that's worked uh, as much in the Oval Office as you have, Dr. Navarro, can tell us that's probably nothing is further from the truth. Uh, that's exactly right. And, and um, yesterday morning, um, I put up on my Substack. It's Peter Navarro.substack.com. Peter Navarro.substack.com. I put up an analysis, kind of in more minute detail, about what actually transpired. And it, it reminds me when I watched what was going on there of all the trips that I took and sat across the table with our team facing off against the Chinese side, um, including several times when Xi Jinping, the dictator, was was there. And here's the thing. It's like every time these, these bastards get us in front of a negotiating table, they win. Because their whole strategy, going back to Kissinger-Nixon, is delay, right? They never want us to act. And when I was in the tariffs on, but it took us a long time. It took us like a year and a half to get those on. Fortunately, they're still in place. But what, what they're doing is delaying. And I, if we're realists, there's really no reason to talk to them, right? Because if you ever negotiate a deal successfully with them, they renege on it. Case in point is the so-called skinny trade deal. Yep. President Trump negotiated in January of 2020. I mean, they haven't abided by that at all. But let's think about this. It's like, we know they're going to make a move on Taiwan. Well, what's to say there other than to say don't do that? Blinken instead says, hey, you know, it's like we don't support Taiwan independence. We know that they're going to keep imprisoning the Uyghurs and engaged in cultural genocide in Tibet, in ethnic cleansing, and so they're not going to stop doing that. What's what's to say there? We know that they've already taken Hong Kong and not given it back, and most of all, from a MAGA point of view, it's like they're going to keep hammering our economy with what I call the seven deadly sins, which is the forced technology transfer, the currency manipulation, the counterfeiting, the piracy, the cyber hacking. And by the way, they're going to put that friggin' uh, attack outpost on Cuba, 90 miles away. And existential threat we've had in our hemisphere since the Cuban missile crisis in 62. And Blinken didn't even bring it up. Didn't even bring it up. And meanwhile, you got Joe Biden saying that that massive spy balloon that flew over all our military installations was somehow um, a silly balloon. So um, <clears throat> this is these people are compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. 
um, including people like Blinken. You know, they were at all the think tanks and places that, that CCP money goes into. Biden is directly compromised by deals he cut, uh, the millions he received, and the American people, they're getting the high, you know, take the high quarter. Well, when you talk about some of those things you brought up, I mean, obviously all the things with how the the CCP negatively affects our economy, which negatively affects the global economy, is something that's longstanding and known, something that you guys highlighted big time and combated to the best of your ability during the first Trump administration. But when you talk about some of the things that are more, uh, you, you know, newer to the timeline, like the Chinese spy balloon and the revelations that now there's a, a Chinese, essentially a spy lab being built in Cuba, which is just less than 100 miles off the coast of Florida. You, you heard reports over the last couple months or so since the Chinese spy balloon incident that Joe Biden was, and I'll put it frankly, not allowed to call his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping, uh, when advised by his team because they didn't think it would be prudent following us shooting it down. And when when Blinken doesn't even bring up that or the spy lab while he's in China, I don't even think they discuss the uh, transfer of prisoners that Chinese that the CCP has right now regarding American citizens. And what did we get out of this? Absolutely nothing except a photo opportunity, don't you think? Exactly. What they got out of it was a great propaganda coup. You had Lincoln with Xi Jinping standing behind him, acting like you know a running dog with, as you correctly pointed out, body language that that looked not just like a running dog, but like a beaten dog. Uh, so he got a great propaganda victory on Taiwan. And the biggest one is, is this commitment to more talks. Uh, you look at the Bloombergs of this world and the liberal press, and it seems like it was a great achievement that, that we're going to keep talking with the Chinese. When my point is, there's nothing to friggin' talk about. It's like, look, you either quit hacking our computers and attacking our economy. You get the hell out of Cuba. You stop uh, killing Uyghurs and, and burning up temples in Tibet. Um, you take those bases in the South China Sea and you take them back to the mainland. I mean, it's just like there's just this incredibly long list of grievances for which communist China has no intention of addressing in any which way possible, and talks and delay of action by the United States is a victory for them. That's their victory. More talk. That's a victory for communist China, because that means no action, more talk. Yeah, and that's how it was broadcast in, in primetime all, all over China versus their state-run media, and you know... Oh. The, the influence of Chinese state-run media, how it is all over the world, especially in the third world where they're, you know, they have all these countries in debts. That's all they're seeing is, is basically Xi Jinping giving Tony Blinken a shakedown over the weekend and saying that, uh, yeah, the U.S. is committed to essentially crawling back to negotiations with communist China, which just looks absolutely disastrous for our country. Speaking, yeah. speaking of which, Dr. Navarro, I do want to touch on the economy here a little bit. I mean, you are probably the first person to have made the phrase stagflation great again, unfortunately for us. But, you know, <laughs> you, you, listen, yeah. you, you yeah. were back on the show like eight months ago and, and you called it then. Yep. We're seeing it come yep. to fruition yep. now. Yep. We, we had one of yep. your great friends, Jay Powell, who chairs the Fed, say he's not raising rates this week, but he will be doing it at some point in the future. What can you say to how the domestic economy is looking here and how, how bleak does the forecast really look from your end? Well, let me, let me uh, put a gentle plug in again for the Substack, PeterNavar.substack.com, because what I've, what I've begun to do 
um, every Friday, Saturday is like a weekly uh, economic and market update. It's something I did years back when I was uh, professing at the University of California. And I think it's, it's, um, it's timely because we are in such desperate but subtle straits. You know, the, the, the Wall Street folks are making a ton of money, whether the market goes up or down, whether bond prices or stock prices go up at the same time or, or, or inverse as they usually are. And meanwhile, here, out there on Main Street, uh, our jobs are increasingly insecure. Our real wages are being beaten down by inflation. And life is looking for, in my judgment, about two to three more years of this stagflation, which is the slow growth or recession coupled with inflation. So, for example, in the Substack last week, I point out how the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and Producer Price Index come out and they show a moderating of inflation. You know, that that's that's comforting, right? So the Fed doesn't raise interest rates. But then when you look kind of beneath the surface is what I try to do, you see that the core rate of inflation is about 5%. Now, what does that mean? It means that that's um, more than, than twice what the Fed target is, right, which is 2%. So until, until inflation gets below 2% in the core, the Fed's going to lean towards raising interest rates. Mortgage rates are already up to 7%. Short-term interest rates are 5%. Right? So the core is hot as a firecracker. Now, the bad news is you can't get that down in a day or a month. It takes years. And the way the Biden regime and the Fed are doing it is using only one tool in the shed, which is to induce slower growth and make workers take it in the shorts, both by either getting laid off and or seeing their wages fall in real terms. So the, you ask me what the outlook is, it's, it's stagflation for uh, two or three more years when the real solution is structural in nature. That's the kind of stuff we did in the Trump administration where we had, uh, above all, strategic energy dominance, which, which keeps things in check, not just with energy, but also food because fertilizer is a petroleum product. And uh, there seems to be no understanding of that in the Biden regime, uh, the Democrats who are in Congress, or Jay Powell at the Federal Reserve, arguably the worst Federal Reserve chairman since the irrational exuberance days of Alan Greenspan. Hmm. So continuation of the worst economy in the history of the universe for at least two years. Got it. I mean, every time we hear Joe Biden, best jobs market, best economy ever, Jack. So it doesn't matter if you're working two to three jobs to make ends meet in, in, in comparison yeah. to the one you had to work during the Trump administration. It doesn't matter if yep. 80% of your 401k has evaporated over the course of the last nearly three years. It doesn't matter. Like you said, the, the value of the dollar and the, the market of job stability is completely shot. They're going to tell you it's great. So you got to believe it's great. 
Dr. Navarro, I am so glad we got to sit down with you today and catch up. It's been way too long. We'd love to have you back at some point in the future. You always kind of get us caught up to date on all things related to the CCP because you're an expert in combating them. And then, of course, the domestic economy. We are going to live link your Substack in the show description today. But you want to tell our listenership why? Sure. Uh, Peternavarro.substack.com. Uh, what, I, what I love to do on it is, is kind of the short form um, everything I post is a, is a five minute read and an eight minute podcast. And what I try to do is three things. I try to give you news you can use on the economy and the markets to protect your wealth and job. Um, I also, uh, all things communist China and then, uh, everything you want to know about the, the, uh, 2024 presidential election from 2024 and, and MAGA. And one of the one of my missions is to make sure that the Democrats don't successfully turn MAGA into a four letter word. So I talk a lot about um, what MAGA means and um, PeterNavar.substack.com. I think you'll folks will enjoy it. It's free. Sign up, and it's all good. Oh, it certainly is. I'm, I've, I've been a subscriber for quite some time, and it's one of the sources of information we frequently use on the show. Um, Dr. Navarro, again, this has been great sitting down with you today. We'll be sitting down with you again soon, hopefully. And uh, thanks for taking time out to join us. This is the former director of trade and manufacturing who served during the Trump administration, one of the very few from down the elevator to today on Steak for Breakfast. Dr. Peter Navarro, thanks for joining us on the show. All right. Keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Mary, to meet you. Bye-bye. Jim, good morning. So. China seems to be placing the blame on the U.S. for the downturn in relations. Not necessarily surprising, but uh, what do you see there? Well, there was an almost scolding tone from the Chinese president to Secretary Blinken uh, in advance of their meeting in which he said something along the lines of, I hope you, uh, Secretary Blinken, in America will do more to improve the relationship. Clearly putting the onus on the U.S. and therefore implying it's the U.S. that has been the problem here. Now, on the flip side, and as always with, with these high-stakes, high-level meetings, you have to take the good with the bad, the Chinese president did sit down with the U.S. Secretary of State, and that kind of contact, he of course also met with the foreign minister and other Chinese officials, is progress compared to where we were just a few weeks ago when a similar visit was canceled in the wake of the Chinese spy balloon. So they're talking, and talking considering uh, how serious the divisions are right now, that is something. It, it provides channels to discuss these issues uh, and hopefully don't allow them to escalate. But, you know, those issues, as you laid them out there, Rahel, they still exist. Uh, absolutely. And look, this is a first step, as we have heard, uh, represents a, a step towards something, as you said, progress. They call it progress. <laughs> but as Dr. Navarro just outlined, it's uh, kind of a continuation of the disastrous foreign policy stance that the U.S. has taken on communist China and Xi Jinping since Joe Biden assumed office a few years ago. And, you know, as we jump into the news here, we're going to have some breaking towards the end of our first news segment. We're also going to be able to lock all that in with former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, who's coming in at the bottom of the segment. But sticking with this and what happened over the weekend, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken took his show on the road to Beijing and met with a high-ranking delegation of his CCP counterparts had a brief sit down with uh, well, the Emperor of China, Xi Jinping, and, and took some really optically bad photos uh, for the rest of the world to see. He looked very, 
not happy and, and displeased with probably what you know was going on. And when you hear CNN reporting on how China's taking a stance on it, well, it's good for the U.S. to kind of crawl back to restart negotiations, which are basically not happening right now because of our problems. Uh, you know, the CCP reiterated that the spy base that they're building in Cuba is a direct response to our, I guess, new stance in the Taiwan Strait. Spy base? Spy base. Yeah. Sounds secret agent-y. Yeah, well, sound, sounds like big trouble for us. I think that... Uh, big when, trouble in Little China? Big trouble in Little Havana. <laughs> Part two. Should have been made. I think, uh, you know, taking a look at, at this whole thing and, and finding out some of the receipts that we've garnered over the last couple months, you know, Joe Biden was discouraged and then essentially vetoed by unelected government officials who don't have the rank and or power of the president of the United States to not call and do whatever he was going to do to Xi Jinping after the Chinese spy balloon incident. And this also comes off the heels of, you know, we've been having some issues with, I mean, there was the Chinese destroyer that buzzed our boat a couple weeks ago in the Taiwan Strait. And then, you know, planes coming a little bit close to uh, some intelligence gathering apparatuses we've got flying in and around the area over there as well so blinken sat down with cbs news during his visit there and and wanted to make it very clear why he was in the region i think after listening to him you'll know he pretty much didn't really have a clear message to give to the american public and that's pretty much the way the chinese broadcast it let's hear it is military to military. Mm -hmm. We don't have an agreement on that yet. It's something we're going to keep working. I made very clear to our Chinese counterparts the importance that we attach uh, to that, uh, something that is also profoundly in their interest because, again, we both agree that we want to, uh, at the very least, make sure that we don't inadvertently have a conflict because of miscommunication, because of uh, misunderstanding. So Xi Jinping didn't say absolutely not. No, this is a work. This is a work in progress. We're working uh, on it. Will work the defense progress. chiefs at least talk to each other? Well, again, to be to be seen. We've made clear that we think that's important, more than important, uh, imperative. Uh, I think the Chinese understand very well uh, because I made very clear where we're coming from on this, and we'll keep working it. But Are you sure all these people aren't just like AI digital versions of KJP? They sound exactly right. the same. Are they historic? Yeah, that was the only, that was the only thing that was missing was historic and transparent. There you go. Fuck. She called herself a historic figure the other day. She's definitely not transparent. Did she really? Yeah, talking about oh her God. her service behind the the lectern. Wait, she said she was historic. <laughs> very historic. Yeah. Oh, scissor me timbers. Well, technically, she's not lying. Yeah, I guess. But history history will look at her as probably the worst press secretary in the history of the galaxy. Mm. To be quite honest with you, and. You know, I know hostages were something that was definitely on the table as far as, you know, the American public wanting to know about. I believe there's three that the CCP have who are American citizens. That was not discussed at all as well. Yeah, that looks bad. And I think the big thing here is that when he says we don't want to admit that we're wrong, that to inadvertently back ourselves into some kind of potential conflict because of miss or lack of communication. That all goes straight to the top. I mean, exactly. we all we all remember what it was like five or six months ago when Joe Biden was being peppered with questions after one of his speaking events, and he gets all confused, so he just starts blurting out stuff that you 
can't even imagine would come out of his mouth. <laughs> they asked him specifically about Taiwan and saying if, you know, China invaded, would the U.S. defend it? And he said, yes. <laughs> Which technically isn't really the stance as far as American foreign policy goes. We've always kind of taken, I mean, it's pretty much the one China deal and the U.S. would be able to uh, contribute to Taiwan defending itself, but not with U.S. physical military might and or troops. Whether or not that changes now, who knows? But Blinken was asked directly about that during a press conference after one of his meetings. Let's hear this. I raised U.S. concerns shared by a growing number of countries about the PRC's provocative actions in the Taiwan Strait, as well as in the South and East China Seas. On Taiwan, I reiterated the longstanding U.S. one-China policy. Uh, That policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences. We remain committed to meeting our responsibilities under the Taiwan Relations Act, including making sure that Taiwan has the ability to defend itself. Which case in point means we really don't want to lose our superconductor and chips factories over there, so please... Please don't. Please, Xi Jinping, don't invade Taiwan and make it a bad thing. It would suck to have to rebuild all those factories in places like the Philippines and stuff, especially with the, how bad the global supply chain is You know, currently not looking too great. But I don't know. Overall, I don't see what the point of this was. I know China took it as a huge win uh, optically in their end of the world and then broadcast in all the countries that they kind of control, you know, state-run media. That's disseminated from the Chinese Communist Party was basically stating that we, we essentially crawled back for negotiations, and uh, after a good whipping behind closed doors, the United States is going to be good and, and loyal to what China's doing, which is essentially trying to take over the world on, on every level possible. You're talking about currency. You're talking about you know rebuilding the world's infrastructure out of the ground up in the third world and, and, and in the more developed countries post-COVID. So it's kind of just taking a look at this and saying – what was the there there? It seemed like something this big where, you know, one of the cabinet members of the United States is meeting with the the chairman of Communist China. What could possibly be coming down the pike right now? I mean, they, they already are all hyped for the Trump indictment following his arraignment last week in Miami federal court. But, but what could we be looking to cover up by, you know, the Biden regime going out there and saying like, oh, this is such a great thing. We're back at the negotiation tables. Everything is going just fine, and we don't have to worry about this anymore. There's no you know, heightened tensions between our two independent nations. Well, that couldn't be further from the case. Everything's fine. Completely yeah. fine. But aren't they? Isn't the BRICS group, for example, expanding and like inviting? Like China even said themselves that they're ready to welcome new members, and they're going to completely destroy the American dollar. Adding new members every month. I mean, you just had China was in Saudi Arabia. You had, believe it or not, Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, recently. And then when Blinken went over to Saudi Arabia recently, he was just like here, treated like crap. Like <laughs> no respect for the office of the United States Secretary of State. And obviously everybody knows after seeing him on display, we'll get to it a little bit later, working on that bridge from the United States to India how much of a disaster Joe Biden is. Gordon Chang, who's an expert in all things China, was on yesterday, kind of give a little summary 
of everything that went on. Let's hear him. Technically, Blinken did not change America's position on Taiwan. But the question is, what did he choose to emphasize from Beijing? And by saying that we don't support Taiwan independence from the podium, actually, I think, communicated weakness. Now, it is true, the technical U.S. position, we don't support independence, but we also don't support China's position. And so, you know, I just thought it was ill-advised for him to do that, especially because Blinken had suffered so many of those insults while he was in Beijing. This just looked like another instance of the United States caving into China, even though we technically did not change our position on Taiwan. Well, I mean, that kind of sums it up there. And, and, and you know, it was a lot different, even though we kind of rode the same policies during the Trump administrations because we took a lot more of a, well, we all know and support and love the one China policy. We know for a fact that our superconductors and Microchips are made and processed in Taiwan, but, you know, as Donald Trump said to a lot of his geopolitical counterparts, fuck around and find out. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's completely up to you. I'm not saying I'm going to do anything, but by all means. I'm not saying you're going to find out, but (laughs) fuck around. Yeah. So here you've got Anthony Blinken as the, you know, end all to it. We all know that the, the military components of our government right now, Millie and Austin, have just basically called and not had the phone pick up on the other end when, when talking to their, you know, communist Chinese counterparts. And I almost forgot about Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah, right. Well, Millie's on the way out, and uh, Austin is what it is. Jeez. So, Embarrassing. Yeah, That's what it is. Darth Vader and uh, general pronouns, as we still call them <laughs> on the show. They are, they are just a pair of idiots. It's amazing. It certainly like is. Destroyed. <laughs> They've done a really good job of absolutely nothing. Yeah, deep sixing our entire global footing when it comes to a military presence. Uh, whatever they didn't leave in Afghanistan, they shipped another large portion of it over to Ukraine. Well, which, those are military presents. Right. And, and you guys have heard that the fourth or fifth offensive by Ukraine has paused after Colonel McGregor told us on the show like two weeks ago that somebody called a timeout. Well, the Russians were going to let Ukraine take back a little bits of this, that, and the other thing so they could kind of surround them and destroy them. (laughs) That's a classic move. I know, right? Groups have already been able to verify that nearly 20% of the Abrams tanks we've sent over there have also been destroyed on the battlefield as well. Money well spent. Indeed. (laughs) So this all comes on the heel of breaking news. It kind of encapsulates everything that's going on with Donald Trump, this visit to China, Because this morning, I woke up to see across my television that, believe it or not, Hunter Biden has reached a sweetheart deal Mm. with the Department of Justice. No problem. In regards to his finances and taxes and And gun charges. Yep. So he'll be receiving a... uh, Slap on the wrist. To say the least. Let's hear the news as it broke right before we jump in with Cash Patel. Critics, this is going to reinforce the view of a two-tiered system. You know, the majority of Americans polled believe that the indictment of Donald Trump was politically motivated and constitutes election interference. That shows you the level of distrust that the public has with the Department of Justice. This is not going to help, you know, for, for the average citizen when it came to Trump, they rolled out a B-52, and this is going to look like a crop duster. That, you know, that the, 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 you have the son of the president who's at the center of one of the greatest influence peddling 
scandals in in history, and that's saying a lot in Washington D.C. Yeah, and he's going to walk away uh, with a couple of misdemeanors and a gun charge that they can likely expunge. Uh, that's not going to sit well, and I, I think that's going to raise a couple of questions for folks on the Hill. One is, was the U.S. Attorney in Delaware given full authority to investigate the influence peddling aspects uh, of Hunter Biden's work? He was getting millions of dollars that he should have been paying taxes on, but it's the it's the way he raised that money. It's who it came from uh, that's the most damaging for the Biden family. Uh, there's going to be another aspect of this. If this is indeed closed, then the Department of Justice is going to have less of an ability to refuse material to Congress because they will not have an ongoing criminal investigation. Mm-hmm. Anybody shocked? Nope. Not at I all. mean, you have to. I was talking to somebody else about this. Okay. I mean, you have to look at it in, on the the viewpoint of did anything at all come to fruition from them trying to charge Trump's kids with anything? No. Nothing. Just a lot of wasted taxpayer it was dollars. Empty, it was empty threats. It was empty bullshit allegations, just like 99.9% of the shit that they have with Trump, besides mm-hmm. the obvious, like, he did have the papers, mm-hmm. even though he was allowed to. The papers, But the, papers. the fact of the matter is the papers, the papers. But when it comes to Hunter Biden, he's actually getting, regardless of whether it's a misdemeanor or just some bullshit, like, slap on the wrist stuff, it... It leads to how dirty he was. It leads to how dirty the Biden crime family is. Mm. And -hmm. the fact that regardless of how much they can sweep under the rug, like there's still some shit that's leaking out. And he's actually going to have to get charged with something. Yeah. Which is more than they could say for anything that the Trump family had had happen. So I don't know. It's good. It's bad. It's disappointing that he's just basically being let off with a slap on the wrist. But. But it was expected. It was expected, but it also, again, like we always say, it leads the American people to see how dirty the family is. Sure. And when you look at how disastrous this weekend trip was, what it essentially does is they release this today, and I'm sure internally the Biden camp was going to say, you know, this is going to look horrible, but but you know how we do it. We'll, we'll let it go through the news cycle 24, 48 hours, then you'll just have people like James Comer and Chuck Grassley and Jim Jordan go on Fox News and bitch about it for a couple days, and then it's on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. 24-hour news cycle. But what we do is we take this disastrous trip to China, and we just kind of make it go away. Yeah. And who better to just pin this on than... Aliens? The crackhead. Oh. Close. (laughs) He might have thought he was one when he was high. (laughs) But the thing is... This, this is what happens in this kind of a news cycle. We have a, a case of this visit with China and Tony Blinken where we've confirmed over the course of the last, since the Biden regime took over, that these unelected officials in our governments, the generals, the consultants, the advisors, are making the calls on behalf of the Oval Office and driving American policy towards a much more globalist stance. And as we kind of, as Dr. Navarro put it, kowtow to China, what happens is, we just throw other crap in there like this Hunter Biden slap on the wrist and, and we forget about it until it becomes an issue again. And what's the next issue? The next plane that buzzes a you know, U.S. jet, the next destroyer that makes waves next to a U.S. destroyer, the next spy balloon. Who knows? But all we can do is uh, you know, kind of continue to track this. I'm, I'm sure they're going to try and sweep it out of the news cycle as, as hard as they can. But talking about this Hunter Biden stuff... 
I do believe there was a man. He's a great man, guest on the show, Cash Patel, who called this years ago but reiterated it last time he was on the show. We're getting ready to talk to him about it right now, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the former Deputy Director of National Intelligence, Chief of Staff to the DOD, Special Assistant to President Trump, one of our great friends, PAPS enthusiast, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Sorry about the scheduling shuffles. I love my life in Nevada so much that uh, we couldn't get in sync. But now that I'm back in the dump that is the Communist Republic of D.C., <laughs> I have time to chat did about I just, did, did I treachery that has yet again unfolded okay. out of D.C. Is that a breakfast, Pabst, I heard? I, I think I heard a PBR open. Uh, well, it's a good thing this show's not on video, so I can deny, <laughs> deny, deny. Until <laughs> you die. <laughs> well, Cash, I didn't, I didn't want to say that you could predict the future but you know just uh, about two months ago the dc handshake cover-up and the hunter biden scandal was a headline that you ran on for one of your shows and we've come to find out this morning that the joe biden and merrick led department of justice the same one that wanted to charge lil wayne with 10 years for the same crimes has now granted hunter biden probation for essentially tax evasion and fraud and gun charges how would you like to weigh in on that <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> well, if you say enough silly stuff every now and then, you're going to be right. You know, even a clock's right twice a day. Mm. But uh, I wish I was dead wrong about this one. Oh, uh, man. I wish everybody was telling me I told you you'd get it wrong. But <clears throat> this, I think, just shows America that the two tier system of justice is not only a reality. And not some sort of evil right wing conspiracy, but that is it has entirely taken over our weaponized law enforcement intelligence agencies. And I don't think this indictment's going to sit well. I mean, I'm sure MSNBC and DNS and all those clowns are going to be saying, "Who hunters? You know, hunters exonerated." It'll be ironic though if uh, you know President Trump was in the situation and he pled guilty to two misdemeanors. Would they call him exonerated? Nope. Um, or would they call him, you know, shortchanged by justice? So it's unfortunate, but there's so much wrong with this case in terms of the charging and pleading that um, I don't think the media is going to cover that appropriately. Well, let's get into that cash. As a former federal prosecutor, wait, hold on. Are they going to say? What difference at this point does it make? <laughs> <laughs> they got to throw their hands up in the air and then right after that announce their candidacy for president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you threw your hands up in the air when you saw the news this morning. But as, as a former federal prosecutor and, and someone that knows the ins and outs of not only the federal justice system, but the inside of a courtroom, how, how do we get to this point? Like, what do you think uh, led us to, 
you know, basically drop these charges or essentially just, you know, slap them with a little bit of probation. This is ahead of the House oversight investigations into the Biden crime family. It comes off the heels of a disastrous visit to China by Tony Blinken. And I think this is kind of like the Biden regime's way of saying, like, this is going to look bad for a couple of days, but it'll take their eyes off this. It'll say that he's not really a bad guy going into the Comer led investigations. What do you think? Well, most importantly, Joe Biden won't have to won't will not have to pardon his son or commute his son's sentence because he's being charged with two misdemeanors and a pretrial diversion program. Um, so, as a former federal public defender who handled hundreds of federal gun cases, I never once, and I sought it every time it was appropriate, pretrial diversion for gun crime, and I never once got it based on the fabrication that my client was a drug addict five years ago. <laughs> the diversionary program exists if your client is currently a drug addict. And then there's a whole host of other factors that come into play be <clears throat> before you get what is essentially a get out of jail free card and a criminal history wipe off. And that's what diversion is. And he got that for a felony, not to mention the fact that he got away with tax fraud with misdemeanors, which I don't think I've ever seen that um, at this level of monetary amounts that he is supposedly defrauded and failed to pay. I mean, you're talking seven figures. Yeah, Those federal sentencing guidelines alone add up to a five to 10 year prison sentence. So anyone can say, oh, he got he had good lawyers. He's had great lawyers. He also has a dad who's president and his buddies, the, you know, AG and uh, we still have corrupt Chris Ray as the FBI director. So they'll hang it on. Oh, Trump appointed U.S. attorney. It doesn't matter who the U.S. attorney is. It matters that the DOJ and the AG had reverse engineered this thing from jump and they just found the perfect time to let it out. What do you think of the reports coming out that the judge either didn't care to look at or maybe didn't have the opportunity or the ability to look at some of the investigation uh, investigative work that's going into the the oversight committee looking into the Biden crime family which when you want to talk about tax evasion and tax fraud and all the other stuff uh, in between that gets back to you know from China Russia and, and Ukraine to Biden bank accounts after a lot of washing, uh, how does that not factor in here? The fact that he's got more trouble coming down the pike and, and, and some of this stuff based off what we've heard from some of our house representatives looks like it very well may stick. Yeah, that's troubling because then you have to ask, well, first of all, this is a global plea agreement. So it ends the Biden investigation. Hard stop. There's no more. There's, there's no way the DOJ and the defense would work out a deal if it didn't bring everything to an end. So this bribery stuff, I don't know if DOJ was ever even looking at it. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't, they, Congress won't continue its oversight investigation into the bribery scandals, but it will never get to a charging position because DOJ has now said they're done. The advantage there, though, is now DOJ can no longer tell Comer and company, we have an ongoing matter. It's over. So now they have to turn everything over. Now, will they? I don't know. And I think they'll hang this entire thing on a Trump U.S. attorney, which is a, is a total red herring. And the judge, he still has to accept this plea deal. Now, I've rarely in my career ever seen a judge reject a plea deal. It happened to me once in federal court. Um, so he could come in and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to accept diversion. But I don't see that happening. It's a district court judge in Delaware. Or where, where are they? I don't even know. And uh, I don't see how his dad probably helped appoint that last judge. 
Yeah, that's a good point there. Now, when you say investigations ends, are you saying that we've, we may hit some roadblocks now with the Comer and uh, Jordan-led investigation into the House oversight regarding the Biden crime family stuff just because of this ruling and, and plea agreement that we've reached today? No, we should see the opposite. Now, Congress, now DOJ can't tell Congress they have an ongoing matter, which is what they always use to deflect. The matter is resolved if the reporting is true that Hunter Biden is pleading guilty to two misdemeanors for failing to pay seven figures worth of tax and getting a monopoly jail get out of free card on his felony gun charge. Mm. So if that's true, there that's it. There's no more. They they would have been the ones looking at any bribery and pay for play stuff. It's not coming out of some other section of the US Attorney's Office or DOJ. So it's all over. And they've already announced that the prosecution is going to seek probation. So he is literally not going to prison for a crime that anybody else in the United States of America, and I can attest to it having represented hundreds of people charged with similar crimes, that they go to prison for multiple years. And he won't go to prison for even three seconds. You know, I made a joke about Little Wayne at the top of this segment, but the fact of the matter is Donald Trump did have to pardon him <laughs> for him to avoid jail time uh, throughout the course of his presidency for similar charges related to, uh, you know, illegal gun possession and then falsifying documents in regarding to, you know, obtaining that firearm. Cash, I did want to ask you something that's a little bit personal. It's really bugged us here on the show. It's just kind of developed over the last 24 hours, and we always talk about you've been hypercritical of, of a lot of the, the figures who are up in Congress right now. You've actually called several of them out on name, ones who sometimes act like America. I mean, we all know who's on our team, you know, the ones who are out there endorsing President Trump on the campaign trail with him, leading committees. But then there's ones who just aren't and never were. You worked in the government in, in many different positions throughout the course of the first Trump presidency. And recently, it's really kind of burned us up here on the show that Kentucky Representative Thomas Massey has made allegations on Twitter that Devin Nunes is, and I'm quoting now, part of the deep state. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> really? When you hear. I haven't seen, seen that. But when you hear the congressman say stuff like that, and then his only cited reference is a yes vote on the Patriot Act in the immediate wake of 9 11. After have gone going through everything that you and Congressman Nunes, who's a great friend of the show, regular contributor, much like yourself, uh, throughout Spygate and Russiagate and all the stuff you guys ran into with the FBI, the DOJ, and all of their counterparts up there in Washington D.C., how much of an absolute joke do you think just hearing that is? Well, it goes to show you why Congress has become almost wholly irrelevant, and Congress Massey has allowed us to use yet another example of why people despise Congress so much. This coming off uh, on the heels of Thomas Vass Massey's no vote to censure and reprimand Adam, deep state liar, Schiff. Yeah. And I think it's ironic and only a deep stater himself would let Adam Schiff have a pass on leading the world astray with his baseless lies during Russiagate then being handed the chairmanship of the House Intelligence Committee and continue to make up crimes that never happened involving President Trump, Russia, and everybody that ever investigated him. And now you have this individual, Thomas Massey, who had a chance to set the record straight, and he votes no to censorship and reprimandum and votes yes to say Devin Nunes is a deep state actor. Well, I think that record is out there, and Kentucky might want a new representative in the House. 
I think so as well. It's it, you know him playing both sides. He's like kind of reminds me of like a Joe Manchin of the House. He'll play both sides. He'll vote no on things he can grandstand on, where he knows the overall vote's going to get things to pass. It's also obviously the reverse for yes votes going the other direction, and then cite the Constitution like he's some kind of you know big time professor up there on Capitol Hill. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, is that when you talk about what happened during the Trump administration, everything from spying on the campaign originally to, you know, having uh, the intelligence community spy on President Trump and his campaign and send all these bad actors in and out of the, the Trump administration throughout the course of his first term. And then all the stuff that you guys physically ran into during the course of your investigation in, into Russiagate. I mean, you have pointed it out and Devin has highlighted so many times on the show just to even make an accusation like that, even if it's just to kind of take the heat off yourself, like you said, for, for garbage votes like the Adam Schiff censor. And, and then, like, again, he falls back on the Constitution. People were blowing him up immediately when he cited uh, those amendments. And, and it's, it's just kind of sad to see in such a time when you've become so rich and fat off the life you can make as a career congressman and you know that these normal issues, regardless of how bad the economy gets, uh, the geopolitical stance in the world is, the border and how wide open it is doesn't affect you. You can do stuff like this and have your loyal band of minions just follow you around and accept it as the status quo. And it's quite an embarrassment to be honest with you. Well, that's why people hate Congress and, you know, knowing Devin personally, who never enriched himself out of Congress, he was there for 20 years and um, now is looking to keep the internet open, uh, which is the only job he would leave Congress for. Um, and then I don't even know whatever it is Thomas Massey is up to. I can't remember a vote that he has participated in that helped advance a piece of legislation that would actually benefit Americans across the board and not his own ego or headline or political narrative. And, you know, for me, now people know where the votes land, 20 nays or 20, yeah, 20 nays on this, on this one. And he was one of them. And now the populace will have to decide if they want to send those folks back to Congress. Yeah, and, and we hope when that bill, that pro House proposal is reworked, that some of those people, m maybe when they take some of the monetary uh, ties to it, which are completely legitimate, when you look at just the cost of the investigations themselves and financially how some people's lives were literally ruined by Russiagate and Spygate and Crossfire Hurricane and all those things at the beginning of the Trump administration, the Mueller investigation, $16 million is, is, is a drop in the bucket compared to what the American taxpayer, not only in the purse, but just in overall have, you know, experienced throughout the course of, of the way the FBI and the DOJ have become an absolute embarrassment. Cash, I do want to be able to touch on one more thing with you. It's always important when you come on the show. We have so many people who in some way, shape, or form have been touched or helped out or benefited from the work you do charity-wise. Is there anything going on with Fight With Cash right now that you want to plug on the show before we cut with you? No, I appreciate it. The Cash Foundation is up and running, rocking and rolling, thanks to your support. It's a 501c3. We keep um, receiving grant applications on a weekly basis, which we love. The board reviews them. We're pushing them out to active duty service members, whistleblowers, veterans, families in need, Jan 6 families in need. We're pushing out uh, legal assistance to uh, many of those folks and others, and we're going to keep doing it. And our, our foundation, our charity, our 501c3, does not exist to put out publicly who we assist, and we will never do that. But when you have Schiff Jr., a.k.a. Adam Goldman, come in and attack mm -hmm. us baselessly at a congressional hearing for the world to see, 
where he says that Cash Patel bought and paid for lies through FBI whistleblowers, that is defamatory and an absolute lie. Mm -hmm. And we will not let that lie. We will also not let him attack merit-based whistleblower programs that are constitutionally protected under the law who come out bravely and expose FBI waste, fraud, and corruption, and they are punished, and their funds are taken, and their families are put in jeopardy because they dare to, to counter the false narrative that the FBI was putting out there, be it on January 6th, be it on domestic violent terrorism, Trump supporters, uh, sources in confidence, uh, confidence human sources in churches and otherwise. And I'm happy to announce that we, um, uh, myself and, and uh, our legal team, will be formally requesting that Representative Adam Goldman be sent to the Ethics Committee for an investigation for intentionally lying from the dais of Congress and defaming not only our work at the foundation, but me personally. And we want a full investigation, both by them, the FBI and DOJ. Now we understand that'll probably land nowhere, but we also want Congress and the House Oversight Committee and the House Judiciary Committee to act to see if Mr. Goldman, uh, Schiff's protege, obtained information improperly from the FBI and DOJ prior to that hearing with those brave whistleblowers. So we will be getting to the truth. We will be advising the world what we find. And of course, I'd like to remind everyone once again, this is Adam Goldman, a known liar, a shift protege, Levi Strauss heir, and the guy that said he would put all of his stock trades in a blind trust, but just this past year made $10 million on stock trades he made himself. So the credibility is out there for others to judge, but you can never attack the Cash Foundation. It's not about me. It's about our huge audience, our massive support system, the great Americans that contribute to it in so many ways. We're never going to stop. And thanks to your great show, we are on a massive rise to be able to help more and more families as we go out. No, we've heard it from our listenership. And I just want to reiterate to everyone that's listening to the show today, when it comes to people like families of J6 defendants, when it comes to people like the families of more recently, the FBI whistleblowers, some who have come through the show here, Cash, your foundation literally is keeping the lights on, putting food on their table, giving their kids Christmas, et cetera. You can't really talk about the impact that this organization makes in words. You've got to go over and contribute. You've got to help make a difference in some of these brave Patriots lives. And uh, we'll be live linking it in the show description today, Cash. What's the website? Uh, thecashfoundation.com. Absolutely incredible. And then your handle on True Social? At K-A-S-H. It's the only place I exist on social media. And if you think you're following me elsewhere, you're following someone, but it ain't me. Got him. This is the former chief of staff to the DOD. We're going to let him get to his elk, egg, and cheese for breakfast. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks so much, y'all. Be back with you soon. What do you think is the most important issue facing the country right now? So many so important, but we have to straighten out the economy. We're going to do that through inflation. We have to straighten out our border where we have millions of people pouring in, and we're going to do that very quickly. I had the safest border in the history of our country, and now we have the most unsafe, I think, anywhere in the world. There's never been anything like it. We have to strengthen up our military, giving $85 billion billion to Afghanistan didn't exactly help, but we have to strengthen up our military, get the woke out of our military. And uh, 
basically respect all over the world. We don't have it anymore. We had tremendous respect three years ago. We don't have respect anymore. They don't listen to us. They don't care about us. Uh, they, they just don't do what we want them to do and what they have to do, especially since we make life very good for many countries. And we have to get that respect back. And if we don't, we've got some big problems. We- well, that was the 45th president of the United States who sat down for part one of a one-on-one exclusive interview with early election caller Brett Baer on Fox News last night. The rematch was the first that either party has seen of or spoken to each other since the 2020 presidential election event, and uh, it did get heated at times. It was interesting to see. I think the biggest takeaway we can all agree on as we go through these clips right now This was one of the first places, even more so than the CNN town hall, because part of that was, you know, put on the audience. And you did have a lot of people who said, you know, I was a Trump voter twice. I'm still undecided, et cetera, et cetera. But in this, you you had Brett Baer pushing back on several items that President Trump uh, presented as answers last night. I mean, actually, to, to start, we played a clip where he was highlighting some of the bullet points in the incoming Agenda 47, which would be, you know, kind of the centerpiece of his policy platform for his second term in office. But uh, they did get to rigged and stolen, and they did talk about uh, people who came and went through the administration and how Donald Trump looked at them going in and how Donald Trump now talks about them on True Social. So (laughs) are you saying that there's a uh, degradation of the way that he talks about them? Why would you say that? (laughs) So I, I think the best thing out of the interview was when uh, Brett Baer tried to, you know, he, he folded his hands and he got really low in his chair, like look President Trump in the eyes. And he's like, you know, President Trump, a lot of uh, independent voters watch the show, cut him off immediately a lot less than used to. <laughs> and, and he's he, yeah, it, it was it was kind of there. But, you know, President Trump held his own and, and in the face of some stronger questions than he has gotten pretty much anywhere else. I mean, it was almost like uh, without anybody on the Democrat or Republican side manning a podium next to him as close to a debate-like atmosphere as you can you can probably guess. So he talked about some of the day one agenda and, and first things he'd like to have uh, be working on by the time he got into office. So I think the economy is a huge part of it. Let's hear it. We asked viewers to send in questions on social media. We had a ton of responses. Uh, here's one of them. Erica tweets this. What is the first thing you will do to turn this country around if you get elected? Well, I do two simultaneously. I start drilling. We have the most liquid gold under our feet oil than any other country, more than Saudi Arabia, more than Russia. And that's going to bring down the pressure on inflation. And we're going to have very little inflation very soon. We had virtually none when I was president. And second, that close up the border because we can't have prisoners and uh, people from mental institutions coming into our country. They're emptying out from all over the world, not just from the three or four countries we talk about, the neighboring countries all over the world. They're coming into our country at, at levels that nobody's ever seen before, Brett, and we have to stop it. And they are emptying out their prisons and they're emptying out their mental institutions and insane asylums into the U.S. And we're not a dumping ground. I would stop it immediately and get a lot of the bad ones out we'd get them out very quickly i wish we weren't a dumping ground right but this administration has made us one it sure has but i think two of the great parts the takeaways from that clip there was that donald trump used some of his major 
stumping points, mm-hmm. those catchphrases that, you know, sometimes he says them so frequently we, we laugh at them is because they've become a part of the repertoire. But here's the thing. They're facts that, you know, Fox News, like, copes and seeds that. Oh, they're just like somebody in the back going, but, <laughs> but they can't push back on. He right. says he wants to restart the economy. He talks about low inflation. If Brett Baer says anything, he'll be, but, but Brett, Brett, 1.2% when I left office. Yeah. <laughs> Look at it now. And then he'll make up some astronomical number. He'll be like, inflation is at like 7.5 billion percent. Have you ever seen an economy like this before? <laughs> and that's when they get into like the Brett Bear loses the argument because you got Donald Trump saying, yeah, but 1.2% compared to what it is now. 7 million percent. Millions right. and millions of percents of inflation that our economy billions is Billions and billions. Vagina. And then he talked about the border. He didn't talk about numbers of deportations. He didn't talk about any kind of, you know, drugs or human traffickers that were being interdicted. He said, point blank, we had the safest border in the history of our country Yep. when I was yep. the president. Go ahead and debate it. You want to use year-by-year numbers and show that there was maybe one year that was, like, common to all the other presidents and three years where it was well below? That's fine. He's like, but if you average those out, it looks like it was... The safest four years in, the, in during any presidency ever for the United States when they since they've been you know collaborating statistics. He should start bringing his own pie charts, hold them up like they do in Congress. <laughs> that one, <laughs> that one meme where he. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, no, it's true, but but I think that was that was a good strong start for President Trump was getting on some of those policy points and uh, you, you know stumping items for his first term that segue right to Agenda Forty Seven that Brett Bear physically could not push back on yeah. because then it just gets into a shouting match. Exactly. I'm pretty sure you know how President Trump feels about the current regime that's occupying the White House and, and the rest of the administrative state up in Washington, D.C. He he always frames it so elegantly. I don't want to kind of spoil the way he puts it, but let's hear it. One of the countries that's very concerned, obviously, about Iran and its nuclear ambitions is Saudi Arabia. Yeah. What do you make of the Biden administration policy to Saudi Arabia? I think it's terrible. We've lost Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, they're friends of mine. They're great people. The the uh, crown prince and the king, I got along with them incredibly good. They would do anything. They are great, great people. But they've actually gone over to China now, if you think about it. Yep. Yeah. Think of it. it. It was even unthinkable. If somebody suggested it during my administration, nobody would take it even seriously. Saudi Arabia has really gone over to China. China's protecting them now. We have lost Saudi Arabia. Biden goes over and does a fist pump with the king. Now he's the king, the future king of Saudi Arabia. Does it, you know what a fist pump is? Don't touch my hands because they're dirty. So he tells him, don't touch my hands because your hands are dirty. Let's do a fist pump. And he does a fist pump. Do you know how insulted they were by that? Look, we have people that are stupid running our country. This is the most dangerous time in the history, in my opinion, in the history of our country, in the history of the world, because of the power of weaponry. It's the most, this is the most unbelievably dangerous time because of nuclear weapons and other things, by the way. We have incompetent people running our country in the most dangerous time. Now, little articles come out, little articles, just like two, two sentences long, that they spotted uh, Russia sending nuclear weapons to Belarus. Little article, like two sentences. I said, that's a big thing. See, that's a big thing. That's so big. Can't allow that to happen. Huge. That's- it is. I mean, it is bad. That's bad news. That's it's real terrible. bad news. Yeah. That a half dozen tactical nukes are, have made it from Russia to Belarus already. And 
you know, again, foreign policy is where I think Donald Trump was the most successful. Once the economy got rolling, it was taking care of itself pre-COVID. Uh, the border, I mean, he put in some day one policies that locked it down, and we were reaping the fruits of the safest and most secure border possible. Didn't get as far along because of Paul Ryan and friends uh, to build the actual physical wall, but we did get a lot more done than, than anybody could have speculated in everything that he was up against, including in the first half of his term in impeachment. What if Russia just throws those tactical nukes in a dumpster? Well, then they'll probably just get probation. <laughs> <laughs> but foreign policy is something, and, and I like how President Trump, it's like I said with the first part, he outlined some some policy points, the strong relationship that the United States had with Saudi Arabia. I mean, for God's sake, the sword dance can't beat it. Right. Yeah, the, it's a very, like, to compare and contrast the welcomes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, well, that was historical. That's never been done before. Yeah, no, it hasn't. Same and, with China. Yep. You know, he called the Forbidden City. and He did dine in the Forbidden City. And, and look at the difference. Between, that was four years ago. And look at Tony Blinken going over there, to, you know, shuffling himself around. <laughs> Xi Jinping did the Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin first ever handshake. They, they basically redid it. Mm -hmm. Xi Jinping went in for the photo op and then Tony Blinken tried to pull away. And Xi Jinping gave him a little, come here, come here. <laughs> get, over, get over here, fucker. Yeah, bring it back. Bend over nope. a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Let's 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 break the. Uh, hey, like those semiconductors. Mm. How's your chip back now? Ooh. <laughs> but highlighting his foreign policy victories and and, and how he was bridging, uh, you know, gaps in especially in places like the Middle East and Asia that had been broken for so long, and you know, for our rivals there was respect, and for our counterparts there was flourishing deals he also talked about paying their fair share he, he says you know there's just so many countries right now all these problems are contributing to the overall map of death and despair across the world right now but people are just complaining about it not paying their fair share they're relying on places like the united states and germany and great britain the more modernized countries to pay the bulk of everything that's going wrong with this planet and who's making money off of it china russia and all the people that want to kind of tear us down those brick nations that you uh, had mentioned before antoinette so in addition to the people that are currently serving in Washington, D.C., that Donald Trump has no disdain for, he called them stupid people because they are. Yeah, no. Stupid, stupid. Brett Baer took his opportunity. And the election stuff was funny. They go back and forth, but we've heard it all before. It was basically Donald Trump being able to reiterate the talking points that they make on a Fox News panel. So I don't really think it was pertinent. But one of the things that's pertinent to this election cycle is the people who came through the administration – might have been championed on the way in, bashed on the way out, and have gone on to better lives. That was one of the ways Brett Baer was going to kind of attack the president and, and kind of say, like, you said so-and-so was great when you hired them, and then when you fired him, you said they were the biggest retard to ever walk the earth, like literally. I mean, I mean, I mean it takes time to see how, you know, retarded people are. I mean, they can be great at the beginning. but Not honest with you. <laughs> I'm kind of retarded. <laughs> but you also have to take into consideration the fact, what were these people's plans going in? Who were they recommended by? Who were their previous sides? Remember, Donald Trump was literally an outsider. Mm -hmm. I, I highlight that clip we played on the show. We also talked to John Jr. about it. You know, he did a podcast with Blake Masters earlier this year, and one of the questions, it was like an ask me anything, and Blake Masters was like, you know, because Blake Masters was on the original 2016 transition team for President Trump. What was it like? Let's tell everybody what it was like going in there. And, and Don Jr. basically said, like, I'll be honest with you, like, there was large components of the first Trump administration on day one that really didn't know what they were doing. They were kind of learning on the run. 
as you would expect. But when, as the CEO of our country, Donald Trump assumed office, he kind of figured out the ins and outs and to the best of his ability at the time, navigated it to, you know, make the country as strong and safe as possible. But Don Jr., like literally in his podcast would say like, we'd see stuff on TV that they were accusing us of doing and we'd be like, we're not doing that. Should we be doing that? <laughs> like they didn't know. So it was, it was one of those things. But getting, getting back to these hires, Brett Baer went and uh, tried to hit Donald Trump on some of them, especially ones that you know served in the administration or currently are running for president. So let's hear that clip and they're back and forth. Okay, in 2016, you said that. I'm going to surround myself with only the best and most serious people. Well, I did do that. This and we time, had tremendous look. We had the best economy we've ever had. This the world time has ever seen. Your Vice President Mike Pence is running against you. Yeah. Your Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, she's running against you. Your former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, said he's not supporting you. You mentioned National Security Advisor John Bolton. He's not supporting you either. You mentioned Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, says you shouldn't be president again. I uh, calls you to consummate narcissist and troubled man you recently called and uh bar a, a gutless pig uh, your second defense secretary Damn. is not supporting you called you irresponsible this week you and your white house called your white house chief of staff john kelly weak and ineffective and born with a very small brain you called your acting white house chief of staff mick mulvaney a born loser you called your first secretary of state rex tillerson dumb as a rock and your first defense secretary james mattis the world's most overrated general you called your white house Press Secretary Kayleigh Haney Milktoast, and multiple times you've referred to your Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow as Mitch McConnell's China-loving wife. <laughs> so, why did you hire all of them in the first place? Because I hired 10 to 1 that were fantastic. We had a great economy. We had phenomenal people in charge of the economy. We had phenomenal people in the military. I'm not a fan of Millie, and I'm not a fan of certain of the television people. Me either. But I knocked out ISIS. I defeated ISIS. They said, Mattis, it would take three years, and I don't think we can do it. I did it in a period of, like, four weeks. There's a lot of people who praise you for your policies. I just said true. that. That's true. Well, I mean, you just went through a list. But don't forget, the name people that you name, for every person you name, I can name 20 people that loved the administration. And maybe more importantly, the voters love the administration. The voters are dying to get back to it, Brett. The voters are tired of being laughed at all over the world. We're run by a fool. We're run by a man that doesn't have a clue. I want to talk about. And we're going to talk about where Donald Trump went with that sh shortly thereafter. But, you know, you could see the way Brett Baer just kind of it was like the hit piece parade. Every single person. I love it. Oh, that was amazing. And where, where's the lie? It's all true. Oh, you know, no, all these people are just showing themselves to be turncoats and full of shit from the, you know, the start. And we do have to remember that a lot of these people were recommended in the beginning right. by people like Chris Christie, Paul Ryan, exactly. you know, uh, Carl Rove and, and all these people, Mitch McConnell. And, and at the right. time, these people served roles, but throughout the course of the time as things evolved and, and president Trump and his team, the eventual team that would kind of hold everything together throughout the course of his administration. Cause remember it was like newer investigation to kick things off. You clear it. You do a couple huge geopolitical visits. You're talking about the big one to Saudi Arabia, big one to China, big one to North Korea, then COVID hits. And it's right. just like, then he runs into impeachment volume two. And next thing you know, it's a 2020 presidential election cycle. And throughout the course of this, he's shuffling all these parts where you, you see the massive successes both at home and abroad. And when these people weren't meeting the benchmarks, they were immediately investigated, not on an investigative scale, but, you know, 
why aren't they getting, like he said, with Mattis. Mattis said it was going to take three years to destroy ISIS. We don't know why. The guy's going to be a Pentagon consultant and a, you know, an, an arms dealer consultant for the rest of his life. Yeah, he's now, like, I got stock options to take care of. Yeah, he also wrote, a, like, every single person that came through the administration, if they had a disagreement with Trump, there was somebody in some facet of Washington, D.C., whether it be, like, a consultant or a think tank saying, dude, just get out of there. You'll write a book. Like, I knew better, and Donald Trump told me I was wrong. Look how he failed. But... For the most part, he was able to have successes after most of these people right. leaving. Right. And look, I mean, look at all these people and all these things working against him. And he still had the best. He was the best president we ever had. And our economy and our country were was in the best position, regardless of all these things. So I can't even imagine coming into this next one, how it's going to be. Yeah, it's amazing watching people try to like rationalize what's going on right now. Right. You're like, really? <laughs> I know. Caroline Levitt, the official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc. Super PAC, is going to be in at the bottom of the segment. You know, I do want to also mention that there were two big polls that came out over the weekend. One, Harvard Harris. One, RCP. Harvard Harris had Donald Trump six points up on Joe Biden in the general election. And RCP had him this morning at plus four points. So uh, averaging five points up on Joe Biden right now in the general election. How much this Hunter Biden probation thing is going to kind of maybe increase those numbers or we'll just have to continue to try. I mean, Joe Biden's his favorability polling continues to stay at all time record lows. But, you know, I think one of the biggest things that's, that's not making the rounds on social media. And, and one of the things that Fox news kind of segued quickly out of once he started talking about it, especially with places like Ukraine, Donald Trump tried to talk about at one point in the interview that Ukraine was destroyed. There's nothing left. And then Brett Baer kind of like, there was like a quick, I don't know if you want to call it edit or segue, but then they just like kind of went on to something else because that is one thing that they, they just as, yeah, as equal as rigged and stolen, they do not talk about Ukraine losing. On oh, Fox they cut it out. Yeah. So, wow. but, but it's the continuation of this point here. Brett Bear read off like 15 people who had bet. I mean, Trump should wear a wire and then just like post all that shit later on. <laughs> I know. A little pen, a pen camera or something. To not think that he has receipts on all these people. I oh, mean, yeah. All they did was record him. Right. You would have to think maybe. Some of them were now, you know what? There's a lot of people who were actual patriots and thought that this country is ran the right way. So I think they kind of, you know, took the higher ground in that part. But Donald Trump went on to dig into this little hit portion of the interview that Brett Baer threw out there about all these people who were disgruntled, some of like the, the bigger public figures. And uh, let's hear President Trump talk about some of the ones who did leave. Uh, something happens when people leave. They can like me very much. I have this woman named Alyssa Farah. She said the greatest things long after she left. He's the greatest president we've ever had. He was unbelievable, unbelievable. Then The View offered her a contract. But obviously only if she changed her views and all of a sudden she can say negative things. Money gets offered to people and some people change. But, there's but I will people say on this, that list that are not taking money that decided for, that they're well, not for the most part. Her. They are, you know, Barr did a book. Barr was a coward. The name people that you name for every person you name, I can name 20 people that loved the administration and maybe more importantly the voters love the administration the voters are dying to get back to it brett the voters are tired of being laughed at all over the world yep. we're run by a fool we're mm -hmm. run by a man that doesn't have a clue i want to talk about foreign policy but i want to, I want to change the subject this. real quick you have former senior advisor steve cortez saying it's going to be tough for you to get the best and the brightest because of some of the name calling of people who left well, so yeah, what do you steve say to cortez that? is a nice person but i didn't give him the job he wanted because i didn't <laughs> think he was qualified then he went over to the sanctimonious's camp i didn't give him the job so i probably say the same kind of thing if i wouldn't get a job if somebody wants a job <laughs> he's 100 right and brett, yeah. brett bear would go on to ask him about 
do you think this helps you when you're like this and the you know you say comments and, and post stuff on your social media like this all the time? He goes, listen. Yes. Well, no, he, he, he actually <laughs> said, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have to do it, but all I do is get bashed on by the fake news media. So you might as else, well, yeah. What else can I do? Am I, am I going to let people go who worked in my administration go on The View, become commentators at Fox News, write Fucking books? Shit. Yeah, or work for other you know campaigns that are running against me right now and say that I, I did a bad job? Like, no, I'm going to absolutely destroy them when they say that because it's not the case. Yeah, so, of course. All of these people that are disgruntled, whether it's, you know, Bill Barr crushing election integrity investigations in the wake of the 2020 presidential election. God, Bill Barr is a disappointment. I still I still can't believe that. That's just ugh. to general. I, book and I started reading. I started reading it and I had to like I was going to chuck it across the room. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it's an ugly book. I, I, I crushed it pretty fast and was disgusted for the entirety of the time I read it. But from people like him to General Mattis, who, who was looking for a reason for another forever war, uh, right. to Rex Tillerson, who was essentially unqualified once they found out he, you know, he got his feet wet and, and kind of started doing his thing, and he wasn't really good for the job. To all these low- to mid-level advisors, the Steve Cortezes, the people who are now working on the DeSantis campaign, who, who you could tell are overtly disgruntled, who were MAGA for you know the last seven years, and all of a sudden, like, oh, we need to go in a different direction, like... Those, that's what it looks like when you don't get hired somewhere and then you get hired by another company to do the exact same job for a lot less pay or notoriety. For every one you name, there's 20, 20 more, yep. you know, and that's who helped him create such a, you know, a great presidency for the most part, you know, while being bashed like no other. Well, I'll be completely honest with you guys. In case you didn't find the there there, the person who basically did a phenomenal job and lasted one of only four advisors all four years in the White House that got that job that Steve Cortez wanted started off our show today. It was Dr. Peter Navarro. Yeah. So Mattis was such a disappointment. I mean, there were so many, like, so many people that were a disappointment. It's like, I really liked Mattis. I actually have Me one too. of those, one of those Mattis flags. It says like, he's doing the knife hand. It says, fuck with me. I'll kill you all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really disappointed about that too. I, I couldn't believe it to be fair. Yeah. I was like, come on. Oh, he's got to, he's got to pad the retirement. He's, you know, he's getting up there. I, I have the Trump Mattis Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Fire and Fury t-shirt. Yeah. My actually, it's funny that you mentioned that my daughter, like, Walked out of our bedroom yesterday with it on. I guess she didn't bring PJs in to take a shower, so she just went through. The- I was like, "What? What are you doing?" She's like, "It has Donald Trump on." It. And I was like, "I'll allow it." Fair enough. Yeah, can't wear it to school. <laughs> so, but listen, we're getting ready to jump in with Caroline Levitt right now. We'll probably touch on this a little bit. Talk about the poll numbers and then some work that she's doing, exposing just who Jack Smith, who's leading the Trump special counsel, is. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. You gotta try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bills. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12 pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bill's traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's the official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., one of our great friends. Looking forward to talking to Caroline Levin. Welcome back to the show, Caroline. Thank you guys so much for having me on yet another historic news day. The news never stops in Joe Biden's America. Mm. Well, it's 
two parts. I wish it would stop sometimes. It's historic because you're back with us. And then obviously historic because Hunter Biden's getting probation for things that Donald Trump had to pardon people like Little Wayne for when he was (laughs) issued 10 years jail term for the same exact things. Caroline, as someone who's who's running the biggest and brightest and strongest pack in the Trump re-election campaign right now, what can you say about the two-tier justice system when you saw this ruling came down this morning? Well, to be honest with you, it wasn't shocking because this is something that President Trump himself actually predicted a few weeks ago. He said that Joe Biden's Department of Justice is going to slap Hunter Biden on the wrist for something just so they can make the appearance that they are equally applying the law to both Donald Trump himself and also Hunter Biden, when in fact, that couldn't be farther from the truth. And I think most Americans see what this is, which is in another attempt to cover up for Joe Biden and his family's explicit, extensive corruption scheme, accepting $10 million and more probably in bribes from foreign nationals. That's the real crime here. And this uh, three count federal uh, charge that uh, Hunter Biden is pleading guilty to today is just a band-aid to cover up for the massive wounds of the uh, Biden corrupt crime family. This sweetheart deal uh, is just, again, to make their bogus case to get Trump appear fair. And I believe most Americans will see through that. The timing of this is not coincidental, just like the timing of the Trump indictment from Jack Smith and and Karen Gilbert was not coincidental, happening on the same day the House GOP Oversight Committee reveals Joe Biden and Hunter received millions of dollars in foreign bribes. You know, when you talk about the special counsel regarding President Trump in in comparison with this, and I just want to let you know, Caroline, we've already had Dr. Peter Navarro and Cash Patel on the show today who have weighed in on this as well. And it kind of sounds like you guys are in unison with the way that this justice system works for people like Joe Biden and his criminal enterprise of a family and not for people like Donald Trump and the way, you know, they kind of ran his entire operation through the mud for the last seven years now. Um, we have to be able to get back to some kind of, of, of fair standard here. We're not going to obviously see it in the upcoming cases with President Trump because, you know, you have that radical DA in Georgia that's looking for a scalp, and then Jack Smith's doing the January 6th stuff up in Washington, D.C. too. But when you look at the kind of job that you're doing right now, helping President Trump get reelected again, and compare it with this legal stuff that's going on, which isn't necessarily all your guys' expertise, but it's something that, listen, you have to campaign against because it, it engulfs the entire news cycle. We've kind of come to the conclusion that the rest of the GOP field is going to take pot shots at President Trump. They're not going to put out any real policy platforms that would make America first nervous because they're obviously going to try and court these voters. God forbid something happens to President Trump legally, of course. And, and, and they're just waiting to see if anything happens to him. It kind of delegitimizes the whole field. His, his number one opponent, who's completely plummeting in the polls, Ron DeSantis as well. But do you think that's kind of a fair assessment to way that this GOP primary is shaped up? We haven't heard anybody make any groundbreaking policy platform points anywhere. We haven't got in and said, everybody said like Donald Trump doesn't deserve to be the president again, but then they don't reiterate any kind of the fact that they'll do do a better job than him and they, they've kind of rolled out nothing except CNN town halls and uh, you know hit pieces in, in places like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Donald Trump is not only waging war on Joe Biden's weaponized Department of Justice and he's the only one that they're going after by the way. You don't see him trying to indict Chris Christie. You don't see him trying to indict Ron DeSantis. They're indicting Donald Trump because he poses a unique threat to the establishment and the Biden regime. And with that said, he's also still the only candidate that's actually putting forth real, tangible policy solutions to the everyday problems that Joe Biden's 
disastrous administration is causing for the everyday American, whether that's tackling inflation by reigniting our domestic energy production, whether that's uh, unleashing the largest mass deportation operation in United States history. Only Donald Trump is talking about real solutions to the real problems that Joe Biden has caused in this country. And that's he's doing that simultaneously while fighting against more baseless accusations, lies, indictments, impeachments than any other president, former president in United States history. It's really remarkable when we think about the fight that this man is putting up against the establishment and the corrupt, power-hungry bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. Now, when you talk about the the establishment, obviously you're, a big part of that is referencing the media. When you see the way that these people come in and, and, and just softball questions at every single candidate and, and people on the Democrat side to talk about and delegitimize Trump's campaign, where at the same time he goes into you know enemy territory, CNN town hall, and, and it winds up being well-received so much they have to cut it short. He also sat down with Brett Baer in their rematch yesterday, first time that either one of them probably have spoke since Brett Baer called the 2020 presidential election early in Arizona. Uh, two years ago, but Donald Trump's getting the hard questions and he's hitting back with the answers. One of the things we talked about uh, really that you know we broke down in our last segment portions of that interview was is Donald Trump laid out policy platform achievements that were completely undebatable. Uh, you know, when he says it was the best economy ever, you know, Brett Baer could say whatever he wants, but Donald Trump would be like, Inflation was at an all-time low for the entirety of my presidency. It was 1.2% when I left. Same thing with, like, geopolitics. If you wanted to hit him on, like, oh, well, you know, your former Secretary of State, they, they didn't like you or they complained about you afterwards. Who walked into North Korea? Who did the sword dance in Saudi Arabia? Who went and ate in the Forbidden City in China? I don't think it's Joe Biden. I don't think it's Anthony Blinken. It, right. was, it was me. But when you talk about how the media right now is using, like, these demoralization techniques to try and like make just look at the special documents case the indictment calls for 106 pages of classified records right whether or not they were declassified or not that's for the court to decide but the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is every time they talk about this on any news platform whether it's fox news cbs msnbc they show rooms full of boxes they're already trying to condition people who don't understand everything about politics that Donald Trump had truckloads of boxes in his house, and that's why he's in court. Bill Barr goes on, on you know, TV this weekend, that absolute disgrace of an attorney general that he was, and said that he, he can tell 100% that Donald Trump is a liar. Like, he has no evidence to, to back that up, but they let him say it, and then they cut to a commercial. You guys are doing such a great job of getting the message out and combating this media, but how hard of a job is it to do on a regular basis? The mainstream media have become not just a cabal of, highfalutin self-righteous journalists they are a tribe of left-wing stenographers that's what i call them because they aren't journalists they are just uh typewriters for the democrat apparatus in joe biden's campaign and his corrupt crime family and any republican who wants to expose their corruption and speak truth to the american people has to be willing to go into the fight, to go into the fire, to show up to town halls at CNN, to do hostile interviews with Fox News, and to get that message across to everyday Americans who aren't going to hear it otherwise. Donald Trump is the only candidate who is doing that right now. Ron DeSantis wants to be president, yet he doesn't even have the you-know-what to do a interview with a known hostile leftist reporter. Well, guess what? Then you don't have the you-know-what to take on our enemies abroad, Vladimir Putin, President Xi over in China. You know, we forget that Donald Trump was the first American president in history 
to step over the line and enter North Korean territory. That's because he's not afraid to go into the fight on behalf of the American people. And if you can't start that fight right here at home with our very biased, untruthful press, then you are not going to be able to do it abroad either. Yeah, no, you make an excellent point. You know, you still want to continue to, to we can reference back to this special counsel that's going on right now. I mean, it was, Caroline, it was nuclear secrets until it was revealed that nuclear secrets were like the goodbye letter from Barack Obama and letters between the chairman of North Korea and Donald Trump, which doesn't have any real relevance to national security. Now they've segued because they know that that was fake news and they had made it up and they used it first. Now it's battle plans. So whether or not we're going to see battle plans, I'm pretty much, I'm very speculative. I don't think we're going to see battle plans when this goes to discovery. But the fact of the matter is it's just like on to the next thing. And, and, and you guys have done an amazing job over there at MAGA Inc. You're going to continue to do amazing job as we all know here in America first. And we're going to be looking forward to having you back on the show at some point in the future we're going to live link the pack in the show description today but for anyone that's not following you where can we direct them please go to magapack.com or maga inc war room on twitter and truth social you can find me personally at k levitt nh on twitter instagram facebook i run all my socials myself really enjoy uh corresponding with great america first patriots across this country we are going to keep up the fight to not only expose joe biden's corruption and incompetence but also expose uh the weakness of every other republican trying to get in this race and beat donald trump and he will be back in that white house in 2024 so stay strong patriots thanks for having me guys i appreciate it thanks for joining us today this is the official spokeswoman for maga Inc. caroline levin thanks for joining us on the show today thank you guys god bless well, we're going to win and we're going to help we have plans to build a railroad from the pacific all the way across the indian ocean we have plans to build in in in, in angola one of the largest solar plants in the world I can go on, but I'm not. I'm going off script. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm standing next to, and now I'm standing next to the president again, next to a, a collapsed bridge here. And he is here to commit to work with the, the governor and the, the, the delegation to make sure that we get this fixed quick, fast as well, too. This is a president that is committed to infrastructure. Yeah, and then on top of that, at the, the jewel uh, a kind of a uh, uh, law of the inflation uh, bill that is going to make sure that there's going to be bridges all across like this, all across the America getting rebuilt. You know, I've toured many sites across the country that clearly show climate change is, is a genuine, ex is the existential threat to humanity. The existential threat to humanity. Well... <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that fiasco of fucking audio malfeasance. <laughs> oh. They let Joe Biden out of the White House for a little bit. <laughs> and when you, uh, hey, name a more iconic duo than him and Fetterman together. Uh, Laurel and Hardy? Mm. I thought that was Fetterman. I'm like, wait a minute. Fetterneck? Fetterneck. Fetter disgrace. And, uh, anyways. I'm here with a collapsed bridge and uh, in first smash, 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 smash. So ahead of his billionaire donor dinner blitz out here in California that Joe Biden's going to be attending for the next half God, week. I wonder how he's like in person when he goes to these events. You made a quick stop in Pennsylvania, as you guys all heard, to talk about the collapsed bridge uh, mm -hmm. on part of the I-95 freeway. I thought that was more of like a... 
representation of his entire presidency. <laughs> <laughs> the, the meme of the broken bridge and Chris Christie sitting in the... Was it a racist bridge, at least? In the beach chair on top of the bridge where it's broken. It's top tier. And then he talked about climate change being the largest existential threat to humanity right now. You misspelled con. Man. Mm. Yeah, so Joe Biden's going to be... Well, they announced yesterday... It's June 20th. They said he's going to do 20 events before June 30th. Oh, wow. How many is he at? Well, he's doing four out here in California this week. Mm-hmm. Billionaire donor dinners to kick off his presidential campaign. It's been nearly 60 days since he announced. And is he going to hit the 20? Probably not. I mean, where he's like a little stand-in. Yeah, who knows what they are. have photo ops <laughs> to make it look like he was actually there. <laughs> a lot of people have been hammering him lately on not hitting the campaign trail. And when you look at how the uh, DNC is not really warmly welcomed RFK's junior's candidacy, it just seems like they're going to kind of do their own thing. Billionaire donor dinners, a speaking event here and there. I mean, there was a lot of people who was saying, uh, you know, Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom met him on the tarmac yesterday when he came down. I don't know if you guys saw Joe Biden's getting an Air Force One now through the cargo hold. The what? small steps. Say what? In the front of the plane. Really? Yeah. That's how he's getting on and off the plane now because they're putting they, an escalator in. They just don't. They just don't <laughs> want him walking up more than a couple steps. That's amazing. Like that has never happened. Air Force One is an iconic, right, representation of American strength. That's, it just, it just, just made me think of those, like you know, those like uh, motorized stair chairs. <laughs> yeah. What if we had like the Gremlins uh, thing and they <laughs> flew them over the top of Air Force One? Mm. Oh my gosh. Was it Gremlins? Did, that was Gremlins, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they got him in the, uh, walking up in the cargo hold now. That is embarrassing. Yeah, That's in the front so of the They bad. might as well wheel him up a fucking, like, the cargo ramp on a, in a wheelchair. Yeah. With his Depends getting caught in the wheel. <laughs> We're going to do a little news potpourri and pop around on some of the other stuff that was happening over the weekend. We've got Josh Hammer coming in, bottom of the segment. We're going to talk about Trump versus DeSantis with, uh, Someone who's backing Ron DeSantis right now for the first time. We've kind of hypothesized it a couple of times on the show, but this is the first time Josh is going to be back with us since DeSantis is announced. So that should be a lively discussion. We're going to talk about a great new organization to combat George Soros on a global scale that Josh is a part of now that I think is absolutely amazing and, and some of the great work that he, you know, continues to do for... Is it called Good versus Evil? Close. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let him tell us. Nice. So on This Week in Fake News, ABC had their Sunday morning broadcast on and they had democrat senator sheldon on to talk about some of the concerns a lot of people have with joe biden and how great he's doing let's hear him let me ask you you said recently this about president biden you said i think everybody would certainly like a younger joe biden you know i think the people are concerned about an 80 year old president and i think that's an issue that president biden is going to have to deal with on the campaign so how does he deal with that question with the age question now play defense. how does he address it <laughs> well i i went on to complete that sentence that you quoted uh, to say that he can do that by continuing to talk about his successes about the experience about the wisdom about the sagacity that he brings to this job uh, and the record that he's shown to the american people by virtue of those 
uh, characteristics and qualities that he has. And I think we're going to see enormous amounts of new construction, whether it's infrastructure. Uh, factory construction in America is soaring right now. Soaring. And when you're building factories, there's a lot more building that happens after the factory's up as you're building the products in the factory. So he's got a really good story to tell about the end of COVID, the reduction of inflation, Oof. the explosion. Wow in infrastructure, jobs, and uh, manufacturing. And I think that's going to be a really solid baseline for him to uh, go into the voters uh, in the coming, what is it now, 15 months, 16 months? That's the completely obscure Democrat (laughs) senator from Rhode Island who no one's ever heard of and and votes in 100% lockstep with the Democrat Party. And the simply superb, the Thar factory that the administration has set up. Does he have a, a retainer or was it the dentures falling out? He sounds like me with headgear as a kid. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. And that's what a lot of people are doing right now. We, we Listen, we played a clip from Hannity the other day where Hannity basically, you know, tried to hem up Gavin Newsom and, and Boomer Sweats was like, come on, we all know you want to run. Yeah. You're already measuring the drapes in the Oval Office when Joe Biden's out of the country. What's the deal? And then he just goes into these accomplishments that unfortunately Congress has let him get over the finish line, you know, you want to talk about the CHIP Act and the Inflation Non-Reduction Act and whatever else garbage has come down the pike. And no, it's all trash. The recent victory that Joe Biden scored over Kevin McCarthy in the House in regards to Limit Save Grow. So that's kind of, you know, what the Democrats are continuing to paint as, as Joe Biden, the strong leader, legislative juggernaut. I mean, he did go visit that bridge disaster up in Pennsylvania. I do want to... Fetterman? <laughs> Him too. <laughs> but I do want to reiterate the fact he still hasn't been to East Palestine, Ohio. When they talk about things exploding, I'm not right. talking about the economy. I'm talking about the train disaster that happened there. Yeah, he seems to, to dodge a lot of things that would, well, I don't know, not be super popular for him to address. Mm. Mm-hmm. I made it easy for you this week, Noah. For our outro clip, you have a veritable plethora of cinematic glory to choose from. Ooh. <laughs> because... Never Trumper. Better than Big Trouble in Little China. Host. You're getting warm. Chris Wallace sat down with former California governor. (laughs) Arnold. (laughs) 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 To talk about just how unqualified Donald Trump is for a second term. Let's hear him. You put out this video right after the insurrection on January 6th. Take a look. (laughs) Wednesday was the day of broken glass right here in the United States. The broken glass was in the windows of the United States Capitol. Okay. President Trump Why is a Terminator failed music behind it. He will go down in history as the worst president ever. Really? The good thing is that he soon will be as irrelevant as an old tweet. Come with me if now, the you night want of to live. Broken glass or Kristallnacht I was even tell in 1938 when Nazi sympathizers ransacked Jewish stores and and synagogues and schools do you still think it's fair to compare Kristallnacht the Nazi attack on the Jews to what happened on January 6th yeah absolutely I mean I think that is of course a different time and and all that but it is kind of like a threat to democracy that was deep and uh, a threat of what happens to people when they're lied to. Yeah, I think so. And this uh, is why I compared it to that, because in Kristallnacht, that was in the, 1942. I know with my father, who was part of the Nazi party, uh, oh. you know, they were lied to. They were misled. 
And I think a lot of people in America today are being misled. But you were wrong about Donald Trump. You said he's going to be irrelevant. He's <laughs> not. In fact, he's the leading candidate for the Republican nomination. By a lot. Now, Mr. Trump has been well, in indicted defense, on the federal charges. Skynet. <laughs> but most of the top Republican officials are siding with him against the special prosecutor. How, how do you explain that? Well, first of all, I'm not an expert in this issue. Oh, perfect. perfect. I just can tell you one thing, that if the charges are correct, then he is going to be in deep trouble. Come with me if you want to charge. But at the same time, I have to say that, you know, we're always innocent until proven guilty. So we will find out what the courts say. Wait, when does that start for Trump? But I mean, if the charges are right, I think that he's going to be in deep trouble. And how worried are you about the fact that he could be re-elected president. Uh, I'm not worried about it because I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think yeah. that you get re-elected with 30% or 33% of the people voting for you or in your, in your uh, polls. I think that's, that's, that's a great poll numbers amongst conservatives. But I think if you put it all together, it's not enough. You need the swing voters, you need the independents. And so the question is, can he do that? And I, I believe he can't. If he was oh. reelected, it would be a big mistake. Wow. <laughs> Listen. Wow, wow. I can't even, I can't, I don't even know where do we start with this one. I can't. We, we try not to do too much filler oh, on this show. But that I was, so that was nothing but filler. I figure for the sake of an after credit, I'd lob you that beach ball. And we got it all taken care of now. Jesus. Yeah. Wow, wow. Talk about someone that's completely irrelevant that can't run for the office of president exactly. of the United States. Uh, backtracking and making excuses for his father, who was literally a Nazi. The only thing that Trump could yeah, have done different basically. is when he when he left the White House last time, he could say, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Noah. I, I wish that Brett Baer would have asked him about some of the commentary there, because uh. I want to hear Donald Trump... <laughs> say Arnold Schwarzenegger is weak and pathetic and irrelevant. I'm just shocked about the questions that he was asked, to be fair. He was put on the spot a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, talking about things that are relevant. Wait, he was trying to say that it was his his father? Yeah. He was part of the Nazi party? He was. And and he's trying trying to alleviate that bombshell well not bombshell because it's already you know common knowledge but he's trying to rationalize that by saying that he was misled yeah and yet, no, he was very guys. confused about the, you know <laughs> the, the ramifications of exterminating an entire class of people from the planet yeah it's a di- different time as well <laughs> you know in his defense back then that was acceptable <laughs> <laughs> It'd be even worse if he said that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Basically, I mean, oh, I can't. I, I know it's just like it gets more clown worldish. Like, can you ma- like? Okay, fast forward in Trump's time machine, twenty years from now, thirty years from now, fifty years from now, and looking <laughs> back, like as a student in school, if that's yep. even a thing anymore, and they're not just instantaneously transformed into he she's or whatever there you go <laughs> <laughs> i'll allow it like what 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 is history going to say about this time period of the united states and all the batshit fucking lunacy that's going on like as a rational person 
I'm looking at it going, this is so fucked. I can't even, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine like going forward and, and just being like a person that has been, you know, recently exposed this stuff. Like, oh, this is history. Now, basically, this is sure. the Battle of the Bulge. Well, that was about trannies. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Wrong bulge. <laughs> when you just look at it, the context of it, you have a former, like, top tier, now pretty much disgrace and irrelevant news guy in Chris Wallace. News guy. His dad was a famous interviewer. Chris Wallace never met the standard that his father did. Interviewing someone that's basically lived out the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Immigrated here, had a completely superstar lifestyle before he got into politics, became the governor of, you know, the state, which holds like top five economy on the planet yep. was, was well liked for, you know, more or less of his term in office, both sitting there just talking about, listen, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to talk about January 6th. <laughs> and then you're going to tell me about how your dad, who was a Nazi, didn't really mean it. But when you take just the context of Nazism, we're going to apply it to Donald Trump and say that was the methodology that went down on, on January 6th. Okay. Yeah, your father was actually a Nazi, but we're going to try to just blow that back onto Trump. And his followers are being misled by a veritable Nazi. Hmm. Like the others. And when I say Nazi, I mean Trump, not your father, who was a Nazi. Pathetic. Vagina. <laughs> Former disgraced attorney general, Bill Barr, has been doing the rounds because, of course, guess what? He's selling a tell-all book on of course. Oh, his life and times you. during the Trump administration. Here we go. Antoinette's thrown it. I've unfortunately read it. I'm not going to write a book. I'm saying it right now. I like it. At least not yet. <laughs> he was weighing in on... on Got to get myself the out there. Deface the nation this Sunday, talking about everything going on with the Trump indictment. Let's hear him. I believe he lied to the Justice Department. Do I personally believe it? Yes, I do. And do you believe that that he, he continues to claim that he has all these privileges and rights under the Presidential Records Act? Is he mischaracterizing the act? It, 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 absolutely. Uh, the legal really? theory by which he gets to take battle plans and, and sensitive national security information as his personal papers is absurd. It's just as wacky as the legal doctrine they came up with for you know having the vice president unilaterally determine who won the election. The whole purpose of the statute, the Presidential Records Act, is was to stop presidents from taking official documents out of the White House. It was passed after Watergate. That's the whole purpose of it. And therefore, it restricted what a president can take. It says it's purely private that had nothing to do with uh, the uh, deliberations of government policy. Obviously, these documents are not purely private. It's, it's obvious. And they're not even now arguing that it's purely private. What they're saying is the president just has sweeping discretion to say they are, even though they squarely don't fall within the definition. It's an absurd argument. Is that a reasonable view on that? Wow. Really? Now, we won't learn about everything connected to the meat and potatoes of this indictment until discovery. We all know that's correct, right? Right, of course. However, all of these pundits, especially the pissed off and disgruntled former Trump administration officials, are all going around talking about secret battle. First, it was the nuclear stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when we found out the nuclear stuff was, was nothing, was Barack Obama's goodbye letter to Donald Trump saying that North <laughs> Korea was still the biggest nuclear threat on the planet, in his opinion, and uh, that he should definitely 
mission accomplished. Donald Trump ate <laughs> cheese uh, rangoons with uh, Kim Jong Un in North Korea. So uh, Donald, I just want to let you what know. What did he call Biden? Something, something dog. <laughs> uh, Donald, just want to let you know. Uh, uh, left the spare key under the under the mat at the White House. Uh, also, uh, North Korea gonna be uh, numero uno mm. of your uh, <laughs> bad hombres. Threats, bad hombres. Uh, I believe you said bad hombres. <clears throat> yeah. So once that was completely debunked, they've segued now, like they do with everything else, to battle plans. Talking about some hot mic comment that Donald Trump made to a CCP now CNN reporter who was working on. Wait, what? Mark Meadows' memoirs with Donald Trump when he said, like, you know, I, I said it last week, like, I got this piece of paper here. It could be battle plans, could be not, could be classified. Who knows? It could have been his daily planner. But that's what they're banking, like, off these battle plans now. So we won't learn all the documents that were in question, besides the fact that there was 106, not rooms full of boxes. 106 pieces of paper, not rooms full of boxes. That's also something that we've been able to debunk. And now they're using that kind of January 6th style to... That can be a scrapbook. Yeah, every time they say Donald Trump took classified documents to Mar-a-Lago, they show, like, the stage with the boxes, the bathroom with the boxes. And a U-Haul pic- truck full of boxes. A picture of <laughs> Donald Trump, you know, holding a piece of paper, and, and it makes everybody think, like, wow, they must be really telling the truth here on this one. So now they're talking about battle plans. We'll see if there were battle plans in these 106 supposed or alleged documents that Nair is saying Donald Trump didn't give back when they went to the DOJ. Another unprecedented move there. But I reached out to a Trump campaign attorney yesterday, someone who's already working on the appeals process regarding these cases, because we all know it's probably going to get there. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, there's a lot of news going around yesterday that Donald Trump's not allowed to talk about any of this stuff regarding the uh, special counsel case and, and the information that's pertinent to it, some of the specific details of it. And they replied to me, no, it's just the discovery info, which we haven't seen yet, which we'll see at some point. They can't share whatever the government turns over because obviously that's their premise for the indictment, which makes sense. So if, they, if they're going to have this stuff during discovery and anything that's going to be released to the general public is going to be heavily redacted, Mm-hmm. So what they're going to show, if I'm going to make a prediction, is an entire paper of black bars. Yep. And they're going to say, well, we can only we can only imagine the amount of classified material that's uh, behind this <laughs> because the government had to so heavily redact this document. If you if you look at the actual words that you could see, which are and they win and but. <laughs> you can actually make the word Iran. So it's only... You're right. We have to leave it to speculation that these could have been Iranian battle plans that were drawn up by the DOD. I mean, there there could be nuclear codes in there. But the Trump attorney also went on to say the legal team representing Donald Trump in the initial case, the one that's in Miami federal court right now, they did not object to this because that's pretty normal. Right. And said, uh, you know, not only is it not unusual... But they, they, the person that I've asked on the Trump legal team wouldn't have have objected either. Yeah. So let's just keep in mind. I mean, there is stuff that is definitely part of just a routine legal. Yeah. Framework, like the way they yeah. operate. Recourse. Yeah. Recourse. I, I was trying to say the A word. Do it. <laughs> no. I'm looking right at it. No. <laughs> legal what? Nope. Okay. Apparatus. <laughs> mm. In our last audio clip of the day, before we jump on with MAGA Inc. spokeswoman Caroline Levitt to talk about a couple different things regarding the campaign and, and the special counsel that's going on right now, I saw one of the top Trump campaign officials working on re-election. Jason Miller was on with Fox News Sunday, 
And he was comparing Donald Trump's recent successes in the polls and how great his campaign looks right now, especially on the heels of these two indictments, when comparing that with uh, sweaty nipples protruding Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Let's hear Jason Miller. Kick off to even his disastrous trip to Nevada this weekend. The more people see and hear about Ron DeSantis, the more his numbers go down. I think his super PAC has spent upwards of $20 million now, and Ron DeSantis has lost about 20 points over the last couple of months. There's a big difference going from state level campaigning up to the national level. And to go up against someone like President Trump, I mean, you really have to have a theory of the case. Right now, Ron DeSantis's theory is that he's going to out Trump. President Trump with always Trump voters is a pathway to victory. That's not going to happen. President Trump has a lock on the Republican nomination because, and this is from our recent polling, 95% of Republican primary voters believe that American men and women were better off financially under President Trump. Well, he certainly certainly far ahead right now. Hey, yeah, Yeah, I agree. Who's been been, people's pockets? I don't care what side you're on. Who's been saying since day one? I'm pretty sure it's here that if the Trump campaign can rework Donald Trump into being the jobs president, that he mm-hmm. is going to make America prosper Great again. Again, again. <laughs> yeah, that 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 will be a deciding factor for a lot of those MAGA shy voters. So that was kind of the week that was in news. We hit a couple big segments and then kind of brought you through some of the headlines. Now we're getting ready to jump in with Newsweek editor. Josh Hammer, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100.00. Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. That's MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, always happy to host the senior editor at Newsweek, one of our great friends, Mr. Josh Hammer. Thanks for joining us on the show. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Well, here we are, face-to-face for the first time since Ron DeSantis has made it official. <laughs> Hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, I feel like there was like so much buildup. And it's also, it's been less than a month since DeSantis announced. And in many ways, it feels like it's been like three or four months. I mean, it's been so much action, but happy to be here finally. No, we're, we're glad to have you, Josh. We want to have a nice open discussion about it. Listen, as someone is, is, is a big supporter of the Florida governor and, and looking to see him do well in this GOP race, how can you uh, give a little commentary on how the rollout's been since the start of his campaign? Look, taking on a former president who was running again is obviously a remarkably tall order. And, you know, Donald Trump, you know, was remains the obvious favorite to win the nomination. I mean, anyone who is 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 objective, I think, should be willing to to concede that fact. Um, I I think that there is a path forward for for DeSantis. I'm not sure there's a path forward for anyone else. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like if you were purely placing the odds right now you know i'm not sure what the predicted dot-com betting market would be i haven't looked at that in a in a few weeks now i I, you know i I suspect trump would definitely be a favorite you know we'll see what happens obviously i mean obviously you know there's been two indictments we'll see what happens in georgia we'll see what happens with the january 6th uh, jack smith special counsel 
situation up there. I, I mean, query whether that will have any discernible effect. Um, you know, my, my, my friend Steve Dace uh, out in Iowa has, has been tweeting some very interesting questions about, you know, uh, uh, just the Today that you and I are recording this, Judge Cannon set a, a preliminary trial start date for the federal indictment here in Florida of August 14th. I don't think that will stick, but it does present an interesting question as to whether that sticks. I mean, will there be a gag order? Will he even be allowed to travel to the first debate? So there's a lot of variables out there. There, there are a lot of variables out there. The race is still very early. Iowa causes are still a very long ways away. But, you know, I, I would be lying to you guys if, if I said that I thought that DeSantis was a favorite to win the nomination right now. Obviously, I think Trump was and remains the favorite. Now, you mentioned some of the uh, legal issues that Donald Trump is currently facing. Now, not speaking on behalf of yourself or the DeSantis campaign, because we're just having a, a debate right now, just basically providing commentary from each side. Do some people you feel that are around the Florida governor think that the opportunity to kind of seize the moment in this GOP field for this election cycle comes on the heels of Donald Trump being convicted of something, whether it be in the special, uh, you know, counsel that's looking into the to the documents case down in, in Miami federal court or maybe the January 6th one, which Jack Smith is leading as well? Do you think something that puts up some kind of a roadblock or maybe if anywhere from like disenfranchises the former president, making him a convicted whatever, or all the way up to disqualifying him from the race and, and from running is something that, you know, Ron DeSantis might be looking on to pounce on later in the election cycle. I mean, I don't think that DeSantis's choice to run for president this cycle has anything to do, frankly, with Donald Trump's legal woes. I mean, DeSantis, you know, if Trump were not running, DeSantis would be the overwhelming favorite to win the nomination for the very simple reason that this, in any other world where you don't have a former president running again, would be his natural time. I mean, you know, Florida has seen the most ingrowth migration over the past few years. You know, he obviously led the charge during COVID. You know, you know, Republicans now outnumber Democrats registration wise in Florida by 500,000. That's a shift of almost three quarters of a million. I mean, the, the, the switch here in the nation's third largest state ha has been absolutely crazy. And, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a young guy and in politics. You typically only only have kind of your one shot. If you don't seize that opportunity, then, you know, who knows whether it will come again. So I, I think all the cards were really kind of pointing towards him running now, regardless. I'm not sure that his decision to do so was was due in any way to Trump's various legal woes, uh, most of which I think are, are are deeply unjustified on the substantive legal merits, I right. should probably add, uh, which is a stance that I've said for a very long time and certainly continue to hold today. What, what, what I will say is that notwithstanding what I just said, I think that you possibly could see, you possibly could foresee an argument later on in the election cycle where you know, if if a third, fourth indictment starts to come, if Trump is kind of fending himself off on multiple kind of fronts, you could see, especially if the polling shifts at least a little bit, I think a possible lane of argumentation open up for DeSantis that Trump simply will never be able to win back independence, will never be able to win back suburban moms, all these various kind of crucial demographics, and that therefore that he is kind of the only logical choice to take on Biden. Um, that's just my own personal speculation. I have no reason for thinking that, but I, I think that, that that is possible. But I don't think any of that kind of had to do with his calculation to step into the ring right now. Yeah, we've always said on the show, if Donald Trump is able to recreate the 
policy platform pillar that he will be the jobs president again, especially in this economic climate, the things we're seeing with the rise of the BRICS nations, the obviously domestic and global inflation that's, you know, killing everybody and, and how the energy sector has kind of shifted to more a globalist, you know, ruin anything that's gas powered uh, methodology that if he's able to reharness that the same way he did in 2015, where he was able to, you know, do so well in the Rust Belt, break through the blue wall, win places like Pennsylvania, that's kind of the only path to the White House for a Republican nominee right now. But but like you said, his, his legal troubles uh, is something that I think everybody's looking at. You know, we all know that they're, for the most part, unjust and for even more so uh, – just something that's kind of negatively affecting this entire field because they want everybody who's in the race to talk about it and speculate on it. You know, there's people with legal backgrounds, not legal backgrounds that are making talking points simply. And uh, I think we kind of have to let the whole process kind of play out. So, just one thing I want to ask you, I think it's pretty critical because, you know, you're in Florida and you, and you talk to a lot more people who are probably closely associated with the DeSantis team than we do. Does it kind of like make you feel bummed out that how this whole relationship has kind of shook out you know we're always in the the class i think we can both argue from both of our podcasts nobody wanted to see ron DeSantis and, and donald trump have a sourish relationship right now i think they were both kind of really strong pillars in the america first community i i think that this like all races when you talk about the highest one in the land the race for the oval office is definitely one where it could get down and dirty and nasty but you know when when, when you see these guys talking about each other Sometimes you got to know it's a lot of manufactured uh, points that, you know, you don't want to look like you're getting one upped by the other person. But the fact of the matter is, is that do you think at the end of the day that these two will be able to repair their relationships, especially for how much they've both done for the GOP? Look, in many ways, I hate the current state of fever pitch and kind of the vitriol and the mudslinging, many of which is is kind of fabricated below the belt, punching you know, all of this kind of sordid messaging that has really kind of just taken over my Twitter feed and presumably your guys' Twitter feed for sure. the past month, maybe even more than a month or so. I mean, for my part, I have sometimes gotten involved a little bit, but, I, but, but I'm generally trying to stay a little bit more above the fray because I frankly don't know how else I will maintain my level of sanity. <laughs> um, and, and, and perhaps even more than that, I count many guys like in the Trump orbit as personal friends. I, I, I mean, you know, Jack Basobic, Raheem Kassam, I have very good relationships with these guys. And I, and, I, and, I, and I have no particular interest in kind of getting into it with with friends. I, I mean, who in their right mind would choose to put your choice in a primary, not even a general, in a primary above maintaining friendship? So that is not my style, and I and I really kind of do my best to not engage in that. I, I've talked with Raheem privately about this too. I know he's a good friend of the show, obviously. Sure. Um, look, when it comes to kind of uh, your your question about can Trump and DeSantis move on from this, I I don't know. I, I mean, I genuinely don't know. I mean, it, it is in some ways unfortunate that this happened. Perhaps in some ways it was also, I guess, somewhat or ordained or inevitable. Look, yeah. I think two things could have happened for the 2024 presidential primary. We could have had Trump and no one or Trump and like a, a, a genuine, like comical, like never Trump, like establishment lackey, like a Ben Sass or an Asa Hutchinson, maybe. Or you could have had like an actual field. And, you know, I think it's worth remembering that, that a number of candidates did jump in before DeSantis formally did. I mean, Nikki Haley was there all the way back in February. Yeah. You know, other examples right like that. And Nikki Haley is not my cup of tea, but 
you, you know, uh, in, in a Republican Party from eight to 12 years ago, she probably would have been viewed as actually a, a, a semi-viable candidate. Her resume kind of speaks of kind of, you know, you know, various jobs and all that. Again, not my cup of tea I, I, for various reasons. And I'm happy to get into that if you want to. The point is, though, that the, the field took a different shape. And once it started expanding, once all these guys started throwing their hats into the ring, you know, to stand this for all the reasons that I, that I that I just mentioned, like in any other world, this would have been his time. I, I really just don't think he had a choice. I, I think he, ha he definitely had to enter the ring now, and I'm definitely happy that he did. But I, I don't know. I think it's a genuinely open question as to whether DeSantis and Trump, you know, can can find a way to get along. Look, I mean, at a bare minimum, I, I hope, I hope that whoever pre you know prevails out of this contested primary happily and, and enthusiastically, I should add, ends up endorsing the other. What I would what I would prefer not to see is a repeat of 2016, where the bitter nature of the primary leads some leads some candidates to kind of not all get on board the same page. At the end of the day, you know, Joe Biden needs to be defeated. Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or whoever else and to be sure. the nominee, I should say, needs to be defeated. And what I have said on my own podcast, and I will reiterate to you guys, is there is not an iota of doubt in my mind that if Donald Trump is a nominee for president, I will enthusiastically vote for the guy. I mean, that is not a, that is not a question in my mind right now. It really is not. And, you know, I hope that that sentiment prevails for for um, for everyone else, whether or not the personal kind of amicable friendship for Trump and DeSantis is salvageable. I'm, I'm just I'm just frankly not sure, honestly. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see as the race kind of plays out and, and definitely something we'll both be able to provide more commentary on, both on each of our shows and when you join us here, Josh. One more thing I want to touch with you on, I think it's ridiculously important. You have always been an advocate uh, of standing up to anti-Semitism and stuff like that throughout the world. Recently, you began an organization that's going to be combating this at a level that goes directly to combating George Soros one-on-one. -on -one. Do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about this? Yeah. So a few weeks ago, we launched Jews Against Soros, which is exactly what it sounds like it is. Um, you can find that at JewsAgainstSoros.com. So my buddy Will Sharp and I uh, launched this initiative. You know, Will Sharp was kind of popping up on Twitter a few days ago or last week. He had this really long tweet thread. Uh, Will's an ex-federal prosecutor. So he was kind of he had this tweet thread about Trump's federal indictment breaking it down. So anyway, Will and I have been friends for years now. We have a very similar background. We're conservative lawyers, Jewish, clerk for conservative federal appeals judges. And, and most importantly, Will and I are both extremely pro-law and order, tough on crime, have zero, zero tolerance for bail reform, criminal justice reform, anarchy, any of this bipartisan fetishization of kind of being soft on crime in general here. So this notion that you are anti-Semitic for criticizing Soros, for criticizing his funding of currently 75 elected district attorneys in the United States who are elected on a prosecutorial platform, ironically, of not prosecuting, you know, this notion that you are anti-Semitic for criticizing that is just pure, unadulterated garbage. I, I mean, it's total garbage. And we are far from the only people who feel this way. You know, uh, Rabbi Dove Fisher, who's affiliated with a wonderful group called Coalition for Jewish Values, he had an op-ed in the New York Post about a year and a half ago saying that not only is it not anti-Semitic, to criticize George Soros. It is a mitzvah. You know, it is a good thing. It is a good thing to criticize him. The current Israeli government, uh, their minister for diaspora affairs is a man by the name of Amichai Shikli, who defended Elon Musk when he criticized Soros recently. Amichai Shikli actually liked numerous of my tweets and my tweet thread unveiling this project. So, you know, uh, someone just had to do it, though. I mean, someone just had to literally get the URL, get the coalition running. And ultimately, what we're really trying to do 
is to provide some idea of cover to elected officials to get up there and commentators, but elected officials above all to get up there and to not be afraid to criticize the dastardly and profoundly evil influence of this very terrible man without getting these spurious accusations of anti-Semitism hurled your way. No, Josh, it's incredible that you guys have rolled out this this pack and this organization that's going to be combating this on on, on, on a ground floor level. Uh, Will Scharf, who's been on the show a couple of times, it, it, it's, I couldn't imagine a greater counterpart for you to be doing this with. And we're going to live link the organization in the show description today. We're also going to touch on this again with you next time to come on to, to be tracking your guys' progress as you're getting this thing rolled out. For anyone that's not following you on social media, Josh, what can we leave as a handle? Yeah, so I'm Josh underscore Hammer on Twitter. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever else. And I write a weekly syndicated column that you can find at Newsweek or any number of right of center outlets as well. Looking forward already to sitting back with you, Josh. It's the senior editor at Newsweek. He's also the host of the Josh Hammer Show. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us on the show today. Anytime, guys. Well, it's a new day here on Steak for Breakfast. That it is. And if you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now almost 250 other editions of the podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on Apple, Spotify, rate it, leave a review, and then across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast, hit the notification bell. You'll thank me later. I want to give a special thanks out to all of our guests today, Dr. Peter Navarro, Josh Hammer, Cash Patel, and Caroline Levitt. They helped make Steak great again. And guys, don't worry. It's only a few short days. We'll be back on Friday, episode 250 got a pretty great lineup already slated for y'all jim paff sean parnell ryan mcgowan and richard barris will be making his steak for breakfast debut on behalf of the entire pot team i'm roan noah later antoinette bye guys see you soon thanks for listening have a great rest of the week and take care Mm. Oh, these cookies! Put that cookie down! Now!